0: Right to main, that's it. Season one, done. We started this, I think it's three months ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a bit of a journey, hasn't it?
1: Rollercoaster.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, actually one sec before we start. We've oh, got something. I got me a proper lager and I got one of you, one of them
1: Mike, perfume beers that you like My guy, I love an IPA. <laughs>
0: it's a bit of a reflection. Oh, nice. There's a lot of beers just opened in this room then. So the whole point of this is to take people on a journey through building their wealth. And what we want to look at now is just some of those key, key learnings and key teachings that, that we've learned. I mean, I've learned loads from this. And we've really in this season just covered the very basics. We're going to you know, cover more as we, as we go on. I think what we want to do though in this episode is just summarize those very basic steps that people need to take. Yeah, and the first thing you need to do is work out your relationship with money. So your book, you yeah. you talk about it as a personality kind of, prob- not a problem, but the, you, you talk about the, emotional. Human, the human element, which yeah. I think is, that's the place to start, isn't it? It's kind of like, what personality am I? What is my relationship with money? Because mm. we all have different relationships. Can I ask you, what, what's your money personality, you know?
2: Okay, well, I feel like I should issue a small a small caveat. So I'm not the first person to have come up with this idea of yeah, yeah. a financial personality and I kind of hesitated a bit before putting it in the book, but I just find it's such a useful way of being able to talk objectively um about maybe bad habits or faults or things that we think we could improve without kind of turning the spotlight too far on ourselves. So of the different money personalities I List in the book, I, I do say it's a bit of a Venn diagram. I reckon I'm probably about seventy percent goblin, um, which is the classic kind of hoarder of money. I grew up in a situation where, um, despite what my voice might sound like, there wasn't much money yeah. around um, when I was when I was growing up. And when money came in, it had to be eked out. It was not there to be wasted. And certainly, um, when I started to earn my own money as a, as a teenager, I realised quite quickly that it doesn't go very far. So I've definitely got that kind of hoarder mentality in the past that's led me to keep far too much money in, in cash savings.
1: Claire Barrett, consumer editor at the FT. Yeah, actually I found it uh, really useful to find the different personality traits with money. Um, obviously I'm not a goblin hoarding and saving my money. I'm probably more of a YOLO because you only live once so you've got to spend it. You know how it goes.
0: Yeah, but have you actually done anything about it? Because from the episode where we sat down and looked at your finances, it was clear that you have an issue with a certain type of spending.
1: What's a zip car? Zip car for us Londoners is a, uh, it's a car you rent when your car's broken. You've got a car. Yeah, I know my car tends to have a lot of issues.
0: Tw- 20, the third of the first, no, the first of the third to so March, zip car, zip car, zip car, zip car, zip car extended, zip car, you can, you, that's nine zip cars in one day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and a lot of places to be Where that have day. <laughs> Well, look, they, they charge you per hour, but, but that's. Actually- that is your close brothers. That's the finance for your car, isn't that's it? That's my car insurance, so yeah. Y- how many? You've got two cars? I've got my car, and then when it's broken or in the garage or needs repairs. You
0: valeted your car on the day that you got nine zip cars. So you drove your car to the valet and then took zip cars <laughs> around <But I> was- <laughs>
1: Legit. Look, I spent too much money on my car. There. Uh, look, you spent I too to- much money on other people's cars, mate. <laughs> zip car, what is that? It's like a, it's like a Boris bike. Like those bicycles you line bike, you rent them for like an hour, half an hour, and they charge you per minute on the zip car. It does add Sounds up. Sounds
0: financially sensible, it mate. It does, it's not. I really love the fact normal. that you, you you paid your car finance in the morning, took the car to Westfield shopping center to get it valeted, bought a boost juice and then drove
1: home in a zip car. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, mate. I, I accept that, but you have a problem too, Damien. I, I've noticed a little theme in your in your payments here. You do a lot of random food. So there's like Subway, Greg's, Greg's fish Greg's. and chips, <laughs> Greg's, <laughs> Greg's. Yeah, I think we can both agree that I have an issue
0: with buying pies. It was really enlightening going through my you know through my bank statements for the last three months and seeing that. But that's why that's the next thing that you need to do after you've identified what your relationship with money is, you need to sit down, go through your expenses and you need to do a budget.
1: Yeah, I mean, budgeting is a great way to get out of debt. That's what you did, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've known you for a long time and only through this podcast, I found out that you had a little issue with debt, but um, budgeting not only helps you get out, but it's also a good way to stay out of debt, right? Exactly.
0: It got to a point where On the first of the month, I would get paid, and then I was in negative because all of the the payments were going out. And I remember like needing to roll over payday loans so that I could try and like take out a payday loan to pay some others and things like that. For about six months, there was a period where I just had no money. Like I'm talking no money. I moved into um, a house share that was like three hundred. Quid a month? All all in. The one in, in uh, the, Shalford. The girl with the rats. Oh remember? yeah. She had like twelve rats in the kitchen. There was a rat in the I kitchen. Remember the girl with <laughs> the dogs?
1: So I don't remember the rats. I don't think you invited me over though. To be fair, no, I didn't invite many people over, mate. <laughs> so but, yeah, you're right, festive yeah, yeah,
0: flat. I, I was so ashamed. Yeah, these were her pets. Like 12, 12 rats in a in um in a like a big hut. Yeah, they all just like in the corner, like creeping. Um, <sighs> yeah. So I lived in there, and then what I would do essentially is. Um, walked, walk everywhere. I lost a load of weight in that period. I need to start that again.
1: <laughs> yeah, you found it,
0: didn't uh, you? Yeah, <laughs> I found that weight. <laughs> <laughs> <Good God. laughs> um, I'm, I'm, where I worked at, at this debt management place, we had like a cafe with a card. And what you could do with the card is you could buy your food Um, And then they would take it off your next month's wage. So I would buy a sandwich and a soup. I'd eat the soup for lunch and then I'd have the sandwich for dinner. And I did that every day for six months. Wow. So, and that allowed me to just throw everything at the debt. So it's really important if you have debt that you know, you tackle that issue. You start with priority debts, anything like council tax and y- your rent, mortgage, et cetera. And then you can use interest rates to guide how you pay off the other debts. The key thing is just face up to it. Don't bury your head in the sand. There's help there if you need it. And use a budget as a tool to help you pay off the debt.
1: Okay, so step one, we address our relationship with money. Yep. Step two, We create a budget, organize everything. Step three, we take care of any outstanding debts. Mm -hmm. What comes next?
2: Um, Everyone needs an emergency fund.
3: You know, if your car breaks down, your boiler breaks down, then at least you've got some emergency
4: cash to fall back on. That should be maybe like three to six months of your annual income.
0: The emergency fund's crucial because it will support you when you need it. But I get that, you know, in the current times with the cost of living crisis, it can feel a bit intimidating trying to build up a pot of cash. I think... The one thing I took away from this series is whatever the savings goal, whether it's, you know, kids to uni, buying a house, a car, just start. Just start with a small amount and over time that will build up. You know, people hear these stats of like you should save ten percent or fifteen percent and they get a bit intimidated thinking, you know, I think a quarter of all households in the UK at the minute are are borrowing to just pay the bills. But I think It doesn't need to be 10% right now it's something you can build up to and if you look at how people save they kind of up it as they approach retirement or these goals in their lives anyway so just getting started with even a little bit is is better than nothing yeah i
3: think that's a sort of a hurdle to overcome you know some people might think that they're not rich enough to invest or you know same with going to see an IFA or a financial advisor but it is it's it's starting small it's it's just getting on there in the first place and then once you've made that sort of decision and you know gone onto the investing side or putting money away then that's almost like a, a mental hurdle that's kind of overcome
1: i this is exactly why i hate saving because <laughs> just like you said my car broke down i had an engine problem 2 grand and then like i went on holiday <laughs> in Miami. Two grand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was in the club. No, I went on holiday in <laughs> Miami and then, actually I was in the club. I had a bit too much fun time and I was meant to catch a plane, <laughs> missed a plane, had to buy oh, another plane no. ticket, 500 This is why you hate saving? This is why I hate saving because every time I'm like, Oh, I saved a nice amount, something happens mm. and then I have to dip into my savings and then mm. you see it just drain down and I'm like, oh, Is that because of the savings though? I don't know. They're probably quite helpful. <laughs> yeah, they? yeah. It just feels like you always you always have a figure in mind and then no matter how much I save, life just throws curveballs at you. I love that, I literally heard the penny drop when we had that discussion. It was pretty awesome, but you know what was even more mind blowing? Go on. Andrew Craig, author of
5: How to Own the World, teaching us about growing wealth with compounding. If somebody can put 5,000 pounds into an account the day a child is born, like if you're lucky enough to have like a great Aunt Agatha, or whatever, if that can return 10% per annum from the day that the child is born to when they're 55 years old, which in the UK is the first time you can legally retire, with no further investment just a one off investment of 5000 pounds they'll have 945 grand on their 55th birthday because after year 1 it's 5500 and after year 2 it's 6050 and on and on and on
1: so i just had a kid what would i have to put that into Genius. that sounds pretty good yeah so, Genius, yeah.
5: so well the, the, so the next question is common mate interest rates are nothing yeah. how's percent ca- how on earth are you going to yeah. make 10% and the very simple answer to that is since January the 1st, 1872, not 1972, 1872 to the end of last year, uh, um, the return of equities, of shares, of the US stock market was just over 9%. So, okay, I'm using 10% as an example, which is mathematically, it's easier. But broadly, if you'd invested in American shares consistently from the the time your kid is born to the time your kid's 55, that's the sort of return they're gonna achieve.
0: I mean, hold your horses, mate. Before you get too excited, don't forget that he was discussing pre-inflation returns. Another thing to consider is fees. They're, they're, yeah, damn. Damn. (laughs) They're gonna affect affect the end result massively. I mean, the difference between a 0.5% fee and a 1% fee on the total portfolio value over 30 years is huge. Potentially hundreds of thousands of pounds. But let's not beat around the bush. The, The returns on offer are exciting. The next thing though is we need to look at how you actually get those. And you do that using a, ISA. Well done.
3: Yeah, so an ISA is an individual savings account, and it's basically an account where all the money that you put in and anything that you earn in interest or growth in investing is completely tax-free. So the taxman can't get his hands on any of the money that you make that's within these ISAs.
0: One way that I always describe it to people on my channel is like, if you're, if you're, if you go for a run, you could run without a shoe on, but you, your foot wouldn't be very well protected. So the iso is kind of the wrapper around your foot. It would never move forward by itself. It's like the shoe that protects. Protects you as you move yeah. forward essentially
3: yeah that's how we say it as well it's mm. it's almost like a, a protective tax wrapper on on your savings so you know it's it's tax free year after year you get an annual allowance of 20,000 pounds in the current tax year children it's 9,000 so yeah it's it's a it's a really good vehicle for saving tax free year after year
0: that was paloma kubiak editor of yourmoney.com talking about ISAs and the main thing about them is they protect you, your investments from tax. Tax-free. So, <laughs> not, not completely tax-free, you still pay stamp duty potentially on UK, but they, they protect you from the ugly tax like capital gains tax and dividend tax. So that's why it makes sense to maximize those accounts before you invest outside of an ISA.
1: So you could use a cash ISA for emergency funds. Mm-hmm. You can use a stocks and shares ISA to grow your wealth, but what do you put in your stocks and shares ISA? <laughs>
0: Can you guess what the biggest learning has been from doing this podcast or even my YouTube channel? It's that the most important investment you can make is in you. So for me, my path to real wealth isn't through investing, it's by building this business. And that's why I'm happy that we're working with Hostinger. Hostinger help entrepreneurs, freelancers and side hustlers with their websites. My favourite thing is their AI website builder, which helps anyone create a professional website with zero coding experience. You just describe your goal in a couple of sentences and the AI creates a beautiful looking website just like magic. You can then customise it, use the AI assistant to generate SEO friendly text and even use their AI logo maker. It's fast, user friendly and of course what I like the best is it's great value for money. You can get website hosting in a free domain from £2.99 a month. So if you want a website, then check out Hostinger. And if you use the code making money, that's making money, all one word, you'll get 10% off. And I've left a link in the description for you. Before I became a creator, I was a sales guy. I mean, I love selling. It's how I rebuilt my life after some wrong turns in my twenties. I also delivered Chinese takeaways on the side, but that was more fun money. So I could go out on a night without feeling guilty. Sales was where the real money was at. And one tool that I found really useful was LinkedIn Sales Navigator. It's a sales intelligence platform that helps you identify and then get into conversations with high value customers so you can drive more revenue. You can use it to look for key signals like recent job changes so you can find buyers who are most likely to convert. And because they've got a billion people on the platform, I mean, the chances are your targets are going to be on LinkedIn. Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data so you can get into conversations with the people that matter. So if you want to give Sales Navigator a try, you can get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash upsell. That's linkedin.com slash U-P-S-E-L-L for a 60-day free trial. These questions of FTSE 100 or FTSE 250 or... The S and P 500, you can eliminate that by just buying a global index fund, which is yep. all the businesses everywhere. You know, so you're you're buying thousands of businesses across the whole world. I've been investing over a decade now, and the longer I do it, the more I just think I should probably just buy a global index. Yeah, yeah. I- you haven't done it yet. I uh, no, I do. No, what I'm saying is, I thought as I became a more sophisticated investor that I would go more into individual businesses and become more competent. And actually, I've just realized over time that the the, the beginner option of just buy everything is actually the one that yeah. served me best because the best thing that I can do is just buy it, leave it, kind of forget about it long-term. Yeah,
4: absolutely, and and that's, it, that's another thing you can do. And you, you don't necessarily have to even have one fund, you can have two or three. Yeah. I would say someone don't have too many because then it becomes hard to manage and you don't know what's going on and you know, it can get quite confusing. Or
0: as Andrew Craig, author of How to Own the World says it,
5: start simply, and my view is, um, and obviously I've written about this at length, is the way to start simply is broadly to just have the stock market. Is that owning the world? Yeah, well, that's what, exactly. the reason. it sounds almost like dictatories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The (laughs) reason it's called how to own the world is because what is the world? Well, it just means how to own stuff from all over the world geographically and different stuff.
0: Yeah, so how I achieve that, how to own the world, is I buy a global index fund. And all I'm essentially doing there is buying one off-the-shelf investment that then spreads my money around thousands of companies in different countries all over the world. So I'm buying the world essentially. And that diversifies me across all of those different businesses at once.
1: But it's not without risk. I mean, how do you feel that like the stock market's kind of had a little crash recently?
0: I mean, the key thing to understand is that's a feature, not a bug. You know, the stock market goes up and down. You don't get the potential return without the the other side of it, the risk. And because I invest long-term, I, I think it's just really all about consistency and understanding that that's just part of the process. I show up every month, I buy into my global index and over time, I, I believe that it will, will rise. Calpena Fitzpatrick, digital editor of Money Week.
4: I'm, I talk about my apple tree, my garden, and talk about how um, some years it does really well, a bit like the stock market and other years it doesn't. But on the whole, I get quite a lot of apples from that tree, so yeah. I'm quite happy and it's fruitful. So I, I, I don't know if you can relate that to investing. I think you can. No, if no, you think 100%. of it in some yeah, sort yeah. of way to, um, you know, not every year is going to be perfect and not every return is going to be perfect, but it's, you know, I water that tree, I look after it. And, uh, and then yeah.
0: it looks after you.
4: Yeah, and it looks after me over time.
0: Yeah, yeah, the same. It's the <laughs> Too same <many> like,
4: apples. <laughs>
0: yeah, not every. Not every t- day in the gym is a good one, but you, you just consistently show up and you see the results over time and you can't ever pin it down to like, it was that day in the gym that made me fit. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's, it's the habit of going consistently. And I think what people need to do with investing is kind of relate it to things in their life like cooking and the gym and these habits that we have that are good for us long-term that people understand because it is just that. It's just, yeah. it's all these wrappers of jargon and barriers around it that make
1: it seem more
0: yeah, complicated. than it is would cut needs out the
4: noise. It's, mm. There's just so much noise around it. All
1: right. All right. We got it. Stock market long term. But when we were talking about budgeting, you mentioned the 50-30-20 rule. Yeah. But saving 20% of my salary monthly seems like a lot of money.
0: No, I I get that, especially now in, in the current economic climate. But, you know, you just got to get started, really. Actually, this is what Andrew Craig had to say about it.
5: Our very simple shtick is if you save and invest 10% of what you earn every month from the minute you earn it, whether you're working in a bar and you're 22 or you've just been paid a huge bonus and you're 60 and a lawyer or you know whatever, where, and all points in between. If everybody just saves, learns enough about financial services and investment, basics of capital markets to feel, because crucially to feel confident, like... They're not scared. The, the reason that people don't do this is because they feel scared they'll yeah. lose it, and there's misunderstanding. but once you have yeah. a certain understanding of comfort and the spectrum of financial products and how you can use, you know, if you spread your assets sensibly and you just and also the merits of investing every month, if you do that over time, right? Right now is a tricky time for sure. Anybody who's been doing that for ten years is in a much much better position than somebody who hasn't, right? But equally, because as I said, it doesn't. I don't want it to sound too trite. If you haven't okay, so at the moment, you know, you just have to batten down, put your head down, try and find some savings so you can. Perhaps you can't save. Although I would say we always go back to the fact that a lot of the um, stockbroking platforms in the UK let you invest 25 quid a month. That's kind of your entry ticket, right? Now, there are um, online robo-advisor type outfits that are even lower numbers than that, but they, then they're quite expensive as a percentage of yeah. what you're investing. Um, but basically, you know, if, if you can just keep the habit going of like 25 quid a month or 50 quid a month through times like this into sensible investments, just ignore it, comes off the top of whatever you're earning every month. When things get better and the economy is better, then you can do a bit better than that. And then over time through, and again, I go back to this over a lifetime of investing, sometimes, you know, the markets will be great and and the economy will be great and employment prospects will be great sometimes. And and the other thing is, it's all about the long-term but I think, um, you know, the record of at least two centuries is that if you just keep, if you kind of put your fingers in your ear and shut your eyes and just try and save and invest a bit every month in a global, sensible way, over a lifetime, it will work.
0: So when we're talking about investing, we're talking about the long term. I mean, nothing more long term really than retirement. So, you know, we need to talk about something
2: that's a little bit scary. Pensions. Everyone hears the word pensions and just goes, Aah!
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought pensions were terrifying before we had that conversation about them. I still think they're pretty scary, but I do know how important they are now and they are possibly the biggest investment you'll make in your life. If you
0: dig a little deeper into pensions and how much people actually need in retirement, Mm. I think many people will think, oh my God, I need to essentially win the lottery to retire. Can we just start with a real big question of how much does a person need to retire?
3: And so... When I tell the answer to this, I think you've got to notice what your own reaction is, because some people want to run a mile and bury their head in the sand or and think that I'm not saying it correctly. Or other people I think can sometimes be a bit frozen. But it's if you work out what you want every year and times it by 25, that's a good ballpark. So if I want 10 grand a year... I'm going to need 250 grand. If I want 20 grand a year, I'm going to need half a million. And so when we're hearing at the minute, people, these rich people with a lifetime allowance problem of a million quid, these people actually are on incomes of around 40 grand a year. So I think there's a real, there's a huge disconnect, isn't there? About with a million sounds a lot and 40 grand sounds quite normal.
0: That was the incredible Lisa Conway Hughes talking us through pensions and the importance. And, you know, there we've covered the basics, the the boring things, you know, take a full advantage of your ISAs, make sure you're contributing into your pensions. Yep. And once you've got that boring stuff out the way, I think it's important to say that, you know, everyone needs a little bit of space for a bit of risk in their
5: life. Excellent. <laughs> There's a British billionaire called Jim Mellon, He's a brilliant man. He calls them money fountains, right? But to engage with and have a crack at a money fountain, you first need to sort need the a solid nuts base. and bolt stuff yeah, out, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and that's what's so kind of exciting about it, because if you do exactly what you've said you've done, hmm. exactly the position you're in today, at some point you could, you will have the wherewithal, the capital to go. Actually, I'm really quite excited about some of this man's crypto stuff. There you go. Yeah, he's he
0: slags it off but he's made money got, good and he's just still just holding and, it and it. he's still he's, buying. He's a punch bag. But, but <laughs> but like, but, i got but, 1% but, allocation. But there
5: you go. 1%. I was about to say 10%. But like, you know, and so we were just trying to launch a biotech fund, which sadly we didn't, it didn't come off in the original shape we wanted it to, but hopefully it will in another. But, you know, what should people put into that kind of stuff? Well, I would say not more than ten percent. And that's my that's I'm the sales guy. It's my product. Like you know, why would? Why would I mean, how many salespeople go? No, no, yeah. only put ten yeah. percent. How many crypto people so do that? All in on and borrow money mean. on your credit cards. I mean, like, yeah. But 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 it's but again, it, this all comes back to if you've read a book like mine or just learned that enough to learn how to drive amount about finance, you'll be able to see through all of that stuff.
0: So yeah, a little bit of risk is fine once you've got the basics covered and that's what we've covered in this episode today. But you know, looking back on the last 12 episodes, we've spoken to the Bank of England, we sat down with Kerry Katona, we had that chat with Timo as well. What have you taken away from this, mate? What are you actually gonna do about all of this?
1: That's a loaded question. Taken a lot from this. You had to end on Timo, but he just made me feel like, what was I doing when I was 16, 17, where I yeah, should have been? He really made my life feel like a mess. Building, <laughs> up my
0: em- building up my empire. But also, as well, he made me realize that. You know, he's no different to us. He was just sat there. He just did something at the right time. And on the other side of having loads of money, there's still questions. There's yeah. no, it's not like it's the answer. And it's not
1: like he just every business he's touched has gone to gold. Like the mind has touched. When he said I had like seven or eight failed businesses that yeah. no one talks about, it makes yeah. it makes him a bit more human. You're like, okay, so and it's
0: like battle now to like detach himself from the money. Yeah, they, which... and
1: learning from your mistakes is always very important. Yeah,
0: but what about your actual personal finances, mate? Come on, for just... me.
1: It's it's been tricky because obviously we, Open we we're talking Isa, bro. <laughs> Where's the I ISA? opened the Isa. I did. I opened the Isa. I haven't opened my my um lifetime ISA yet. No. LISA or Lisa, I don't know yeah. how to call it. Whatever. Um but what I've learned is I guess for me I'm very impulsive. I'm, I'm very bullish, I'm very optimistic, so I like high risk investments. But that's now that I have a kid, that's not possibly the best idea going forward. Yeah. So like
0: You po- can have the basics. You could still do all of that. I you, did it the other could way around. You could budget it. You could literally budget yeah. it, couldn't you? you I could did the just, risky ones yeah. and now I'm trying to do the basics yeah.
1: where really it should have been sort out your basics, your ISA, your pension, and then go into risky. You, th- don't go debt- to,
0: you don't go to a casino and roll the dice for your whole paycheck. So I think if you've got that basic foundation, it allows you to take those risks. And like you say with Baby G, it's, it's about building something for him for the future as well. And I think when it's just you, you, you want to roll the dice, you don't yeah, care,
1: do you? That's definitely- But now it.
0: you've got something else counting on, someone else counting on Like you said
1: you. when you were dealing with debt and then you had your kid, it kind of, that was like a, trans, a changing point in Massively, your life. Exactly. yeah. It's, it's exactly the same for me, just 10 years down the line, yeah. um, different timings. But yeah, I feel like every all my investment decisions are now different. So budgeting is something that I've started. Um, I, so I've opened an ISA. Have not looked at my pension at all. That's still scary. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Baby steps. Baby Baby steps. Baby G steps. Um, (laughs) And baby G steps. And I've also opened um, another account so I can spread my paycheck in two places, so it's not all in one place, and I can't get impulsive and have a wild night and blow everything in one go. The basics
0: they're called the basics and it almost makes you feel like that once you've done them you've completed them but i i have to revisit those constantly and and go back to those fundamental things to make sure that i'm i'm on the straight and narrow but the one thing that i took away from this probably more than anything that was like really groundbreaking for me was what claire said in the very first episode
2: everyone makes mistakes sometimes we make the same mistake again and again and again, you know, in life with money, with relationships, whatever. But the key thing is, is that you learn from it and you move on. And also you forgive yourself because there's so much shame attached to money. And that's one of the reasons we don't talk about it because we don't want to admit that we don't know. We don't want to admit that we're a bit kind of lacking in knowledge or that we've been a bit silly and we've spent too much money on stuff. We feel like idiots. So we just bottle it all up. And I think that's why it's so wonderful that, You know, you're on YouTube. There are places where people can go on social media like on their own to learn about this without having to talk to someone, because that could be the precursor to a real life conversation where they say, you know, to their best friend or their mum or maybe even a a, you know a counsellor, you know what, I need some help because that's totally okay. And money is such a emotionally complicated but also jargon-filled area. We are intimidated, and we do need a bit of a helping hand. And there's nothing wrong with asking that. And it's absolutely possible for the leopard to to change their spots. And you know, the spendy Wendy could become a spreadsheet slave, which is one <laughs> yeah. of the other personalities. Somebody who's really on it with budgeting. But equally, you don't want to be a hundred percent spreadsheet slave because then you wouldn't have any fun. So you have to take and decide what to take and decide what to leave from 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 each of these. And when you're in a position where you feel like you can use your money as a tool um, and be rational and be effective and not let your emotions force you into making decisions where you're in a situation where you don't really know what you're doing.
0: I really, I can empathize with all of that so much because when I came out of uni, I would say that I was money focused. Yeah. I think the money script would be that I was a worshiper of money. So I always thought that more money would make me happier, Uh, you know, Mm. that that was the answer. Those kind of people have a tendency to then get into revolving credit card debt because they use money short term that they don't have. So I then had to deal with this the motion of I see myself as someone who is driven towards money, but I've actually got myself into a real mess. And then I went over to a spreadsheet slave as a result of that, which was probably a positive but then probably spent the next decade not living my life Hmm. because I was so obsessed with never being like that again. So it's like, I swung the other way. And it's only now that I'm finding balance. And I think you have to really be honest with yourself about your consumption of money and how you approach it and the things you've done wrong to be able to kind of hone in your own personality, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, you have to forgive yourself. Yeah, and, this is true. And and think, this is a lesson. I've learned it the hard way, but nevertheless, I've, I've learned it.
0: So that's it for season one. We'll be back with season two on the 4th of September. But in the meantime, me and T are going to be answering your biggest questions about money. This podcast, just anything really. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really mean that. We started this with no idea really on where it would take us and your support has just been incredible. So do let us know what you liked and what you want us to stop doing. That way we can make the podcast even better. Just email us at makingmoney at or find us
1: on any of the social media platforms. This episode was filmed by Jack Hobbs. Our video editor is Jonathan Hunter. Our producer is Ruth Edwards. Will Stollerman is our Head of Podcasts. I'm Tamayna Karole and that's Damian Jordan.
0: Bye. Goodbye. Quick question for me and the Making Money team. Would you like us to come into your workplace to teach you and your colleagues more about personal finance? It's an absolute joke that we're not taught what to do with money. And this knowledge gap makes most people much poorer over their lifetimes. Take your work-based pension Most people have no idea what the fund they're invested in does, and plenty of people just opt out altogether. We can cover whatever is most important, from the basics to complex financial retirement planning supported by qualified financial advisors, who are not there to sell you anything. We take different approaches for different people in a company depending on stuff like their age or their income. If you think people you work with could benefit from financial education, then please email will at getmost.co.uk. It doesn't matter what your role is in the business, we want to hear from you. So email will at getmost.co.uk. And I've left the link in the description for you.
2: Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do.
1: Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks.
2: Told by leading names in sport and beyond.
1: Who know what it takes to get to the very top.
2: There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow.
1: Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.